Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. Appreciate you jumping on here and joining us today. Uh, my name's Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we've got a great episode for you today. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little marketing and uh, marketing on the, on the animal side of things, on the animal agriculture side of things. And so today with us, we've got, we've got Mike John, uh, Director of Health Track Operations here at MFA, and he's going to give us a little background uh, kind of on yourself, Mike, and um, kind of how your career experience got you to where you are. Okay, well, I, uh, I came here in January of 2000 from our family ranch up at Huntsville. Um, I've had a lot of industry experience. Uh, during that time, we had a, at that time, had about 450 cows, and uh, I, I managed those basically by myself, and uh, we're starting to raise a family, or we're raising a family, and uh, I, during that time period, I was the president of Missouri Cattlemen's Association and the chair of the Beef Council, and started getting pretty active in NCBA, and um, Dr. Hayden came and asked me if I'd have an interest in, in running their program. The, the, at that time, it had a different name, but but a, a basically a, a documentation program for practices in feeder cattle that added value. And I said, well, I don't think so probably, but I'll go home and you know ask a few of the people that, that are involved in our operation and find out. Well, long story short, things happen for a reason. And, and after talking to those people, it seemed like the right thing to do. So we started uh, in January of 2000 and uh, we changed the name, basically changed the, the premise from a from a program where we where they actually tried to direct market a lot of cattle and and uh, uh, go down that road and, and it, that's still a difficult process but uh, we changed it to where we were going to make a, a certification for practices that were done and a set of requirements and then that those cattle could be marketed anywhere and that that particular set of documents and certifications would travel with them and uh, and we had, when I first started here, everything was handwritten, and then we moved to Excel files. And after a couple of years, finally got a little bit of computer expertise. Not for me, but uh, from from someone younger than myself that was able to to start building a, a data management system. So, um, you know, in in 2000, there wasn't a lot of talk about traceability. There wasn't a lot of talk about about certified cattle, feeder cattle, or about vaccination programs. Um, the Texas Ranch to Rail program was a, was a long-standing, excellently run research program at West, West Texas A&M. And they basically sent a lot of cattle to some feed yards in the Panhandle and all at all different levels of, of preconditioning. You know, some of them were not preconditioned. Some of them had one shot and weren't weaned all the way up to like 75 or 80 days weaned with two rounds of vaccines and those kind of things. And what they settled on, what they, what they saw made the most difference was cattle that had been weaned for a minimum of 45 days and had two rounds of the important vaccinations, the, the black leg and the five-way viral and, and uh, then dehorn and delice, castrated, all those kind of things that, that backgrounders and stalker operators typically had done in the past. Well, now cow-cat producers had the opportunity to do that, and they may, they put a name on it and called it VAC 45, and that's basically the history of how anybody had any interest in in a standardized preconditioning program. Yeah. So, kind of even prior to that, what, what would you consider? So Missouri being a cow calf primarily state, 
what would you consider kind of the traditional marketing path for, for folks? And I know, I know your answer is probably nothing or maybe is nothing and that's okay. But, um, kind of what were you seeing back in those days or, or even now to some extent, I mean, there's people I'm sure still doing that. What would you consider kind of the traditional marketing path? Well, my standard answer to that after I'd been here for three or four years were the top five reasons for the timing that people sold their calves had nothing to do with price or value or profit. It had to do with the banknote was due, mama needed a new dishwasher, the kids were home from school, from college, and I had enough help, or I finally caught the little boogers. I mean, those were, those were kind of <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the primary reasons for the marketing. And, and there was no disincentive, uh, no public disincentive to do that. I mean, uh, if you had called an auction market manager and said, you know, when's the best time to sell those gas <laughs> right now? You know, your cattle always sell good. You get them here and we'll get them across the scale and everybody will be sure. happy. Yep. And, 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 you know, that's not a bad thing necessarily because they did work at it and it, and it, and it was the, the standard process. But at least it wasn't like out in the southeast where they have buying stations and you would put them on the trailer and take them up there not having a clue uh, what they were worth or what they were going to pay for them. And they just make you an offer. There's no, there's no bid. And that still goes on today in some parts of the southeast. So. Huh. Interesting. So anyway, those are those are the probably the motivations. I will say now, though, I mean, we've been through a lot in that in that uh, twenty-one year period of time, and and BSE was a wake-up call for a lot of people, and uh, we've we started needing to be able to source verify, in other words, be able to prove where they were born and raised yep. and, sw- and what age they were, because yep. to open that reopen that market, they had to prove we had to be able to prove that the animal was harvested under twenty-one months of age. So to do that, you have to know the birth date, and you had to have a third party verify that. Okay. So we and just just to cut in, just so folks understand, BSE, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, I assume is what you're talking about. Well done. That's you know, <laughs> especially even publicly to say that without <laughs> without tripping over your tongue. But, but you might just 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 so folks understand, that's uh, mad cow disease. Right? Well, in 2003, that cow was diagnosed with with. BSE. Um, I'm not even going to try to say it. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, that basically shut down all of our export markets. And okay. we spent two or three years really working hard at trying to get those markets back open. And Japan was the largest export market we had at that time. It was about a billion, billion four, billion five in annual value. And so they agreed to reopen their market as long as anything we sent them came from animals that were under 21 months of age because okay. they. You know, the science at the time basically said that it took a mature animal in order to be able to be a carrier of, of BSE. Sure. So, cool. so that's, that was why the source and age verification program came in, in place, and that required uh, RFID tags and, and, and timing and first birth dates and, and all. We, we managed all of those kind of details through the health track program. Now, prior to that, our, our emphasis had been on practices, having the two rounds of vaccinations, making sure they were castrated and dehorned, uh, making sure that they were treated for internal and external parasites. And the main advantage that the MFA program had over anybody else is we had our standardized nutrition program. And that's where some people will tell you, well, you're just trying to sell feed. But actually, if you talk to the people who buy those cattle and who care about their health, they'll tell you that the one thing that gave us an advantage and that really worked was that standardized nutrition program because that's when you're trying to, to build their immunity with the vaccination program. And if you had adequate nutrition, it just helped that process occur. Sure. Well, I mean, it seems intuitive, but, but yeah, I, I could see that we're cons- on a consistency basis. So when you're looking to, to, to sell uh, a crop of calves in this, in this case, uh, 
what's like what is I mean maybe it is the value add what's what's kind of the number one thing that you can do to enhance what you're going to get for those calves at market is it I mean is it consistent weight is it appearance breed timing and maybe there's a different answer at all times <laughs> but I guess kind of what I'm getting at is kind of what are the num- what's the number one thing a producer can change in order to increase that market value <laughs> Um, that's a loaded question. Well, and that's <laughs> that's a question I typically answer with the word depends. Sure, um, that's right. fine. And it and it depends on your market. Okay. I mean, if you look at, at analyses uh, over the years of, of what draws value to calves that are sold in an auction environment, draft size is probably number one, and then hide color, and then fill and frame and flesh. All those things play into that thing. But mm-hmm. but still, you know, a, a trailer load of of Okies is still going to have more value than 10 Okies. And trailer load of really high-quality black baldy calves with a little continental in them, which is what most feeders would like to buy, mm-hmm. uh, a truckload is going to be worth way more than 10 calves. And, right. You know, most cow-calf producers have a, a pretty wide spread in the, the age and size of the calves they're offering, and that's mostly due to probably their breeding uh, practices and so if you're going to increase your consistency and your draft size, the easiest way to do that is to shorten your calving period. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell people all the time that, that you know, the, the most dramatic change that you can make in, in your opportunity for profit is to decrease that calving period because then you've got more pounds of, of similar size cattle. And, and, you know, obviously genetic makes a difference in that, you know, those painted calves and and some of those things that always draw a negative, um, you know, you can't fix that. But yeah. but um, uh, it, it it is a, a a common thing that that I've understood and I've come to, to value is that the the smaller the the calving window, the more consistent the, the weight and size of those calves are, and that also gives you the chance to compare one cow against the other, and and you know really do a nice job of moving getting rid of the, the low producers and improving and getting more of the, the good producers. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to make any progress on your profitability. Yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, you think about a lot of these guys that, you know, let's say they're running 35 cows and they got one bull, um, you know, that window could be definitely spread out a month, two months. You know, I'm just thinking about my own family's operation, you know, when my grandpa was doing it. Sure, you'd have cows all summer long because just the way it was managed. But, you know, you're thinking about if you were able to segregate either groups so you could run bulls more consistently or if you were AI, and that makes total sense because being able to group consistently weight, definitely. Because, I mean, when they go through the auction, that's how a lot of times they're going to put them together that way anyways. They're going to group them by size and weight compared to all this All this came from this producer. So Exactly. And... And you know you kind of you, you still also have to know what drives value from a, from a genetic standpoint, and and you know you can argue all you want to about this breed or that breed, and and but but all you got to do is go to a sale, and you can tell from a from a frame size and a and a flesh and fill size and a hide color, you can tell what in your area what's what's selling the best, and uh, and I'm not saying that's all black either. I mean I, I think some of the the one of the largest premiums I ever saw paid for a set of calves was a set of really very consistent red Angus calves. They were really nice. And yeah. I've seen some Charlotte cross calves top markets, uh, many, many times. So it's, it, it's not, it, you know, it's not just one breed or one color or one or one scenario. It's, it's all those things and well-managed calves uh, are obvious when they enter the ring. Right. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you hear those guys and 
I've heard before, you know, you don't think about it, but people definitely can say that those well those guys that are very well suited to buying cows, they can tell whether or not a set of calves have been weaned for at least 45 days or not. Um, and just, you know, just management, you can definitely tell if you have a good trained eye when you go into a sale barn. And we take that one step further by actually proving it with a with an audited certificate. So, right. you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things. And, and the industry is moving you know, a lot of the feeders I've talked to lately are looking for a VAC 60 or even a VAC 75. One of the really biggest ones out there the other day was telling me that they would really be interested in VAC 75 cattle that were weaned 75 days. And interestingly enough, if you look at our database, a, a very significant percentage of the calves are weaned at least 75 days before they're sold. So it's not, it wouldn't be a difficult thing for most people to do. Mm-hmm. So... I think I think it's a good time now for you to kind of walk us through a little bit, kind of the basics of of you know we, we mentioned your, in your title that uh, health track. Can you kind of walk us through that? I know that's just kind of one of many you know value chain ads that are out there, but but kind of what what typically some of those look like, what health track looks like, um, and kind of the main components of it. There and there are and and just to keep in mind that there are a lot of options, and I can since sure. we have kept the data on those calves and and we have actually been able to get whole downloads from sales uh, in in similar weeks and we can we can pretty much track what what brings profits and and how those things work but basically you have to you have to have two rounds of vaccinations uh, a black leg um, uh, two virals one of those has to be modified live that that yeah, you know bvd brsv pi3 type type thing um, and then most of the pasteurella products are one shot, and uh, what we've seen in our database is the earlier they get that pasteurella shot, the better off they are, because uh, it's it's kind of an age an age process. So so we like to to see to, that shot done at least on the first round. Um, they, as mentioned before, they have to be castrated and dehorned and and and. Uh, treated for internal and external parasites, which obviously means you can use a combination product or you can pour them for externals and give them a, a shot internal. And, and you know, over the years I've seen on that that the injectables are getting more and more popular because there's no weather issues with those. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I think that's that's what we're seeing. We're also seeing a lot more of the calves getting at least one round of shots pre-weaning. And if you if you search our database for, for treatments, because we do record, uh, when people report it, we record the cattle that get sick and die. And by far and away, the biggest factor for reducing uh, morbidity and mortality post-weaning is to get both of those shot rounds of shots in the calves at least 10 days before they're weaned. And I know that's difficult on some operations, but it, 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 you know, the difference is, is dramatic and it's stark. I mean, it is a massive difference in what happens after they're weaned. So, um, that, you know, those are things that, that we have an advantage of because we've built the database. We know the answer to those questions. Sure, and you don't have to lose you don't have to lose too many animals to, to make up for the cost of something there. That's so a, that's a fact. Yeah. Okay. So so it's kind of a it's a verification of all those practices put together then. Correct. Is essentially what it is. And and we have a, a nested pair of tags okay. um, that has a, a low frequency RFID tag, a tamper evident. I mean in other words, you can't remove it without it being obvious. And then we also have a panel tag that, that goes with it that is our, our billboard that says that, that these are MFA health track calves. 
and the the full RFID number is also stamped on that tag, and then the last five digits of the RFID number are on the panel tag. So, okay. so there's, you know, and, and I think the two tag system is important because if if you lose one of those tags and you only have one tag, mm-hmm. then you lose practically everything. So sure. Um, then there's new technology coming along. We're gonna, I'm sure we're gonna continue. We've been putting a few uh, ultra high frequency tags in because they they have a totally different function and a different uh, read range and all those kind of things. So we'll keep experimenting with those. But but uh, uh, I think we'll see a lot more of those in the future. Are most of those calves getting sold at um, at special auctions at, at just general feeder calf auctions? What's that kind of look like? And I'm sure that again, this varies from from place to place, as across the state or across our t- trade territory. But we haven't looked at that number real recently. But but at one time when we were tagging about uh, you know thirty to thirty three thousand head of cattle, there were seventeen thousand of them that went through Joplin stockyards. Okay. And and you know I get a lot of pushback from people about well I you know my my uncle has a yard up here or my brother in law works for this deal and. You know where's the best place to, to sell my calves and there's there's lots of different tiers of order buyers out there and if you want access to a tier one order buyer you got to go to a sale that has that can present truckloads of cattle okay. and there aren't very many of those places in the state okay so um, that's you know critical mass is, is critical mass and I don't care if you're talking about balling calves or, or uh, sale barns or direct sales it really doesn't matter I mean this industry is still based on the commodity principle of supply and demand and, sure. and critical mass is those things that reduce cost to the buyer and and freight is one of their most significant costs so if they can have a 50,000 pound group of calves that's what they want mm-hmm. so you're saying the freight to one of those major order buyer barns likely pays a lot of times well and, and it's included in the in the basis too i mean you know an animal that's sold in eastern missouri is going to bring less than one sold in western missouri okay. just simply because of the freight basis because most of those cattle go west sure sure well that makes sense and you want to cross over there to to grain commodities the same way you know the further down the river you are the more you know more basis you got there so now that makes that makes sense um does something like this make sense for for just a, a larger cattle producer or if I have 10 calves a year on, on my small acreage, does, does something like this pay for me too? Or kind of what's, what's your thought process on herd size there? I actually believe that you, you get more bang for your buck as a smaller producer. And, and the reason for that is because you can't, as a small producer, the only, the only value market that you can participate in is just the phenotype or the way those animals look when they walk in the ring. you got nothing else to sell. And if you, you take 20 calves and they're sorted into three groups, then you're going to have six or seven calves in a 300-head pen out in western Kansas. And it really doesn't matter to them that much what the genetic quality of them is because they just aren't going to keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's not a very pleasant thing to understand, but that's, that's, that's basically the, the way it works. So um, you know, I, don't, I don't know what else to say on that subject. It's just... It's just uh, um, if you are the kind of producer, and I get this, I've had this question. I've been sitting at a sale, and somebody says, "Man, that last draft that came in, they didn't have a tag or anything on them, and they brought a lot of money." Well, they were six months older than they should have been for that weight range. They were thin. That you know, their tail is dragging the ground. I mean, somebody was going to make a tremendous amount of money on compensatory gain. And so you talk about giving up leverage as a cow calf producer. If if that's what you do, you're giving up a tremendous amount of leverage. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. 
I guess a lot of this is just stuff I don't think about because I don't have that trained eye. But those guys that when it's your uh, when it's your job to buy cattle, that's <laughs> you probably get it pretty quick, or yeah. you don't have a job, I'm sure. So, so that's that's interesting. What else is out there? I mean, is there or kind of what else is out there, and, and what's the next step for some of these value add? Um, programs. Well, that's probably the the most important question because things are changing pretty rapidly. Um, you know, and I, I won't say necessarily that COVID accelerated those things, but but based on the the supply problems that happened, uh, you know, during COVID and and the, the vast disparity in the price of wholesale beef versus what they were paying for calves, you know, those things were all related to either labor. Or, or plant shutdowns or transportation problems. I mean, there was all kinds of things that were plaguing the normal supply chain in, in our business. So that, to me, that, that kind of made some of these larger um, uh, retail, wholesale, um, you know, these export businesses that, that deal in, in large quantities, they're, they're looking for a way to take some of the risk out of their business. And one of the ways they can do that is to manage their supply chain. And technology is playing a role in that now. We've got blockchains and, and we've got uh, permanent IDs and, and those kind of things. Uh, and when you add to that the, the consumer interest in knowing where their food comes from, I mean, there's one of the, one of the best and largest um, certificate program certifiers in the nation is, is actually called Where Food Comes From. So that's a trend that we're, we're absolutely not going to get away from. Um, the, in, in my opinion, being able to participate in one of those supply chains is probably the first time in my professional career that the cow-calf producer can actually gain some significant leverage. Because if, you, if the cow-calf producer doesn't, doesn't know and, and can record uh, his processes and his, and his uh, nutrition and, and his uh, vaccination and, and all of those kind of things, as well as genetics and, and those kind of things. I mean, if you can record what you did, it doesn't matter what you didn't do if you've got a full history of, of what you did. So these supply chains are all looking for, and I mean, they range for anywhere from Walmart to Performance Food Group to, to Costco and Amazon and Whole Foods. I mean, they're out there, and they are, they are desperately all trying to find a way to line up supply that gives them that story. And they're going to do it, and and that's why we've been uh, working with a with a blockchain supplier, so that any sized producer, if they if they allow for their animal records to be uploaded into the blockchain, then they basically have market access for one of those supply chains. And that doesn't mean you have to give your name and address and birth date and and zip code, and you don't have to do any of those things. It's it's all anonymous. But but the cool part about blockchain is if that animal's identified with a with a radio frequency ID tag, then everybody that touches that tag that's a subscriber to the blockchain as it goes forward puts their little bit of data on that and then everybody gets to see that data. So it's been fascinating in the pilots we've run. Um, you know, the first time we downloaded health track data into the blockchain, we got 1,800 carcass data hits on that data. Wow. So, and that was just from one group of feeders. So if you, if you start saying, okay, if all the top five feedlots are involved in this, in mm-hmm. this process, you know, those numbers are going to going to grow dramatically. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, and then it all starts. I mean, it starts starts when the calf hits the ground, right? I mean, you can't take a can't take a, a 
calf in a stockyard somewhere and, and make up data for his whole previous life. I mean, it, it's got to be there as it happens. So. Right. And, and you know, even some of these big supply chains that say they're quote-unquote traceable, I mean, Walmart has, has made that claim, they, they will admit to you, to your face, that what they mean by that is it's traceable back to the package when it leaves the packer. <laughs> right. So they know zero about where it came from, what it's, who its mom and daddy were, yeah. you know, what feed yard it went. They don't, they don't know any of that information. And that's, that's their, the extent of their supply chain. Now, the other side of that coin is, do they want to know that information? Absolutely they do. They, they would love to be able to, to say that, look, we, we are your, your food supplier. We know where this animal came from, where this meat came from, and how it was handled. And we will protect your, your desire for knowledge. How detailed are we going to get? Uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned vaccinations and, and that kind of stuff makes sense. But, <clears throat> I mean, are we going to get to geo-referenced? Are we going to get to genetic makeup? I mean, do you see some of that stuff? I, I just wonder, I mean, with that ability to, to track that kind of detail, I mean, are we just going to continue to add detail, you think, or we're kind of where we are? I think I think that that industry participants will decide that, and and what I mean by that is that there's some, there have been times when there's been significant premiums for practices. We'll just take natural for, for example, and and you know there was a very small percentage of people that actually went through, even though th- there was knowledge about what that was worth, and even though most producers didn't do anything to change that natural claim. I mean, most of the cow, small cow cow producers, especially in our part of the world, didn't implant anyway and, and you know, didn't, didn't feed antibiotics and all those things that they just, they just didn't do it. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of market signals out there that people aren't following right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, as far as the future, with, again, with, the, with being able to trace that much data uh, just on ear tag of a, of a calf, are we... Do you think we're going to go away from traditional sale barns at some point? I mean, are we going to go direct to feedlot? Are we going to go um, to more online sales of stock? Um, do you see any of that kind of change coming, or are there still going to be the need kind of for the aggregator? I I believe that we'll always need the aggregator. I, I'm not 100% sure that we'll need as many as we have right now. Okay. And, and um, you know, that's... One of the things about identity preservation is you, you find out what really, if you've got really good ones and you find out if you've got really bad ones. Yeah. And, and once, that, once that transparency uh, is, is unveiled, then there will be different processes. I mean, I, I can talk to cattle feeders all day long that will say they get tired of paying too much for the bad ones and they recognize they don't pay enough for the good ones. But they got to have them come into their yard 50,000 pounds at a time. So, so they, they just... You know, they have an order for a certain weight and size of calves, and whoever fills it first gets the business. So yeah, um, but but I you know I it's still it is still a uh, a lot of the costs are still in transportation and and those kind of things. And so you know we we've already moved from a system where where cattle were traded probably three times before they weighed 750 pounds. To now, sometimes they leave leave farms at 750 pounds and go straight to a feed yard. So, mm-hmm. so some of those transaction and intermediate steps are, are going to be gone, just as a matter of, of principle or sure. a matter of practice. So, sure, uh, it, it nothing. It's not going to stay the same, and and things change faster now. And I don't care what business you're in, things yeah. change faster now than they ever have. I just noticed the other day when I was um, 
I have a newfound obsession for farm machinery uh, auction apps. And uh, <laughs> um, I just noticed on there that you can, I mean, the livestock trading, you can buy and sell cattle. I just wondered at some, you know, at what point when you have a, a number on a tag and all that background data saved, is, you know, can I cut the middleman out, I guess? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. And I, I will say that having some, I've had a lot of producers that wanted to either retain ownership or retain part, or owner, part ownership or, or, or market direct. And, and, you know, I've, I'll always help them in any way that I can. And it's a really tough thing to do to change a cow-calf producer into a cattle feeder. And if you're going to retain ownership or if you're going to retain partial ownership or even if you're going to be a supplier into a, a supply chain that has, has specifications, I, I promise you that every calf you raise don't meet those specifications. So you're going to have to become have the ability to sort and I can't do that remotely. Um, you know, we, we've attempted some of those things. That there, so there's still going to be um, a challenge in identifying the cattle that fit the mold. And, and the sale barn does a great job of presenting those and sorting them into those groups that meet that criteria. So mm -hmm. it's, it, we're not going to replace them. We're not going to get rid of them. Uh, you know, the, the, the structure of, of sales may change a little bit and the way data moves. But again, that's one of the cool things about the blockchain is it doesn't matter where they're sold. I mean, you can still sell them at, a, at an auction market and 180, 280 days down the road end up with some data back on them. So. Right, right. Yep. Are, are, do most sale barns around have, they've got the ability to, to read that data and move those cattle through there and, and recognize what's going on? Or is that kind of... No, larger no. As well. there, some can, and some and some will. I mean, the Kingsville barn has an ultra-high frequency reader in it. There's not okay. very many calves that are tagged with ultra-high frequency tags. We we probably have tagged the the most of the ones that have gone through there. And and what's really interesting about that is that Cattle Trace put those those readers in, and that's a private database that helps uh, trace or, or track cattle movement. And and it auto, you know they they didn't have to change anything. It's hooked up to the internet. Cattle come through there. It scans those tag numbers and sends them directly to Cattle Trace, and so it's got a location, a date and time, and a tag number. And and so you know, in the in the case that that there is a disease outbreak somewhere that meets the the minimum level of criteria that allows USDA to have access to that database, that private database, uh, there there will be the ability to, to trace animals. And I I get a lot of pushback on that. There's a lot of people out there that are scared to death of the government having access. Um, but all you got to do is read about about what happened with foot and mouth disease over in Europe and, and the unbelievable devastation that that caused to the livestock industry over there. And it, and it stopped transportation. It kept people from leaving their homes. I mean, they, they, it's hard telling how many livestock were euthanized and burned. And I mean, it's a it's a horrible, horrible event. So if if uh, even in some of the, the diseases that we already have, if, if you are identify your practices and identify where your cattle have been and can prove that, that they're yours and where they've been by your records, then the chances of you avoiding a quarantine are a lot better than if you got nothing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I encourage people to, to think about, at least from a private standpoint, private database standpoint. Yeah, we've, we've kind of been, um, we, well, we've luckily avoided some of those kind of nationwide livestock disease outbreaks, but... I think, you know, as you look around the world, we're one of the only ones that have. Um, and, and some of that stuff is why. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that stuff's important for sure. So what else? I mean, um, kind of going back or circling back to kind of value adds for, for calves. 
what else is out there um, as far as the best ways for us to put additional value on, on pounds per calf that go through sale? Well, I, I, I have come to believe that because of the, the transaction costs that are involved in, in multiple movements of, of cattle, I think, I think there's some value, especially to cow-calf producers, to keep those calves on the farm a little longer than, than you normally would. I mean, the, more, the most efficient uh, and, and cheapest uh, weight gain on those calves is going to happen at the ranch of origin. I don't care what anybody says. If you transfer them three or four hundred miles, and and uh, you know you commingle them, and you have the disease problems and the shrink problems and all those kind of issues that occur in that, if they stay right there where they were born, and and uh, they go into some kind of a feeding program that that can get you two and a half, three pounds a day gain, and and you know right now they're they're the carcass weight minimum or maximum at, at packing plants is a thousand and fifty pounds. That's almost a sixteen hundred pound steer, so. You know, we're starting out a lot bigger now than we used to. Yeah. So uh, I, I would say, I would say putting as much weight on them at home as you can, getting your your calving windows as tight as you can, um, using genetics that that have a desirable target. Depending on what your target is, if your target is is a weaned calf at 500 pounds, and then look for a bull that gives you the the most gain uh, at, at that one, the, the biggest weight at, or quickest weight at that size. Um, if you're if you're looking to, to get some feed yard data back, and however you're going to do that, make sure you're looking at carcass traits. The other thing that, that I think a lot of people overlook is is if you're going to create and, and keep your own replacement efforts, you need to give some thought about how you're going to do that. And sometimes the best uh, bull for a for a feedlot steer is not the best bull for a replacement effort. Mm-hmm. And and you know uh, uh, <coughs> reproductive efficiency is one of the keys to profitability. And if you select heifers that are born in the first 21 days of the calving period, they're coming from the most reproductively efficient cows in your herd. And if you continually replace the older cows that are out of the cycle, you know, that, that go longer into the season with those, those early born heifers, you're, you're probably most likely to, to reduce that calving window. Yeah, yep. makes a lot of sense. And yeah, so does the replacement heifer talk because, again, you just said that, you know, we just keep, seems like we keep getting steers bigger and bigger and bigger and it's not exactly what you want from a replacement heifer standpoint. You know, to, you know, a lot of things that we've said so far is data management. I mean, you know, most, a lot of these value added things, it's all about being able to keep track of, you know, born dates, nutrition, when they were vaccine, you know, pretty much everything we've said, whether it be going in the blockchain or anything like that, it's all about me collecting the data and, you know, keeping it together. And, you know, I know a lot of it has been done on pen and paper, you know, like you said, you guys finally went to Excel. Um, but we are in the technology world these days. Is there something a little bit easier um, to kind of help people, you know, keep track of this instead of writing it down? on a pen and paper when they go through the shoot, you know, it's doing a vaccine, you know. Well, the desire to do that is why we created the PowerCap program, but without a doubt. And HealthTrack is is a database uh, and, and a data management system for calves at or around weaning to, to, to create a, a more valuable feeder calf. PowerCap is a whole herd management system, and uh, there, there is an app that works on either an iPhone or an Android phone that you can collect data as it happens. 
uh, I can take you to a drawer in our shop that has about 20 years of red books in it. And if you ask me what the average calving window or average wean weight or all that data exists in those books. But as far as putting an analysis together, until we started digitizing that data, it, it was almost, you know, it was too big a job. There's just, we just didn't do it. Sure. Right. So if you can digitize that data as it happens, if you have that phone in your, that smartphone in your pocket and you see that cow calf and you can record all that data, it sends it to the cloud and, and it's automatically digitized and you never have to enter it into anything anymore. And if you do that consistently, uh, no matter what the, whether it's preg check or breeding or calving or, or uh, you know, weaning, whatever the process is, if you do that consistently, then at, and at the end of the day, I mean, you have all of that data. And, and we, have, we have one customer that lives in Florida and his ranch is here in Missouri and it's a pretty large ranch. And he's got five or six people entering calving data and every night if he wants to, he can go log in and see how many calves he had that day and, and do, a, do a report on them. And, and it's, uh, so it, the digital age is here and it can really, really help people uh, determine how to increase their value. I, I tell this story a lot, but the, the, I retained ownership on our first set of calves back in the early 90s. And when those cattle finished, the last page of the closeout was, a, was an analysis of what would have happened if I'd have moved the bottom 25% of those calves into the average. And on 88 head of steers, it would have made a $5,800 difference. So if you talk about adding profitability and adding value to your, to your operation, moving the bottom 25% into the mm -hmm. average of anything, whether it's cows, calves, a dairy operation, I don't care what it is. If you can move the, the bottom ones up into the average, you're going to make more money. Right. Yeah, just being able to quickly analyze the, you know, this information makes it a lot easier to be more profitable. I mean, I know that when my dad took over from my grandpa, we a lot of things were put on pen and paper, and my dad you know, would then go put it in the computer and he'd run a lot of stuff. But if you just had the ability to now put it there right away, then you don't have to then take the extra time to type it in and all that. And like, like we said, you know, with the replace breeding for replacement heifers, it's a lot easier to then trace back on all that data and say, okay, well, this group of heifers was from this set of cows, you know, on the early side. So that you don't, being able to utilize the technology and the data definitely makes a difference. Well, and, and, you know, I have a story for almost every situation, but I used to ask a lot of producers at producer meetings how, you know, how they selected their replacement efforts. And they, they'd say, well, we just go out and pick out the nicest, biggest ones. And I says, oh, so you're only selecting for size. They didn't appreciate that much. But, I mean, literally, if you, if you get your cows too big, they'll eat you out of house and home. Now, I realize, you, you know, a dink cow is, is not going to have a great big calf. I get that point. But there's, everybody has a has a sweet spot that fits their environment and their grass and their forage base and their hay crop and all right. of those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are we missing, Mike? Um, I'm going to ask you kind of a two-pronged question. Number one, kind of what we're missing uh, from a marketing or marketing your, your calf crop standpoint. And uh, number two, any any resources out there that, that you would kind of point folks to, to go check out? Um. I think that, and we're already seeing it, that we're going to get to a point where, where the majority of, of any commodity group, and it doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's crops or livestock, but if the majority of them are sold under a certain practice, then anything that's less than that practice is going to get discounted severely. 
And when, when Superior Livestock, which is the video auction people, the biggest one, they started uh, kind of putting together an analysis of, of what, had, what had been done to the calves they had in their feeder calf sales. And in 2008, there was about 5% of the calves that were back 45 or better or, or more. And uh, in 2019, it was 54% of those calves were back 45 or more. So if you wonder why some of these ball and calves aren't bringing very much uh, at auction markets, that, that pretty much explains it. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole cattle feeding industry has finally realized how much less labor they need, how many, how many fewer rations they need when they buy cattle that are properly preconditioned. So a lot of feed yards have, have quit, have absolutely quit buying calves and, and you know, they're, they're letting the backgrounders suffer all of those consequences and, and the backgrounders cannot pay as much for calves as cattle feeders can. That's just a fact. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Risk. Yeah. I mean, there's risk there. It's all about risk. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing to not forget, and, and I, I guarantee you this is coming, is that these supply chains are going to figure out how to meet their consumer demand with that. And, and people would say, oh, they'll never do that, or there's no reason to do that. Well, it is my opinion that if we don't figure out a way to satisfy this oncoming generation on their curiosity about the quality and, and value of, their, of all of their food and the traceability of all of their food, we're going to lose market share to those that can. Yep. And I, I don't want to see that happen. Yep, that's right. I mean, your 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 synthetic meat and all that kind of stuff has traceability. So yeah, tra- um, trace back to the nasty yep. stuff they put in it. Yeah, but, but. <laughs> completely agree. But I mean, but if that's what we're talking about, like I said, having a story to tell, that's that's what a lot of folks are looking for. Any resources, stuff out there that you'd point people towards as far as if they're interested in more information or. Well, obviously, um, uh, the MFA's outside sales staff are, are guys that are that are trained in and understand how this system works and how how uh, the health track program works and, and how how to get all that done. And, and we work it through our retail locations. So, um, you know, the, the best source for a producer is to work with his MFA representative, and uh, and then our our sales team. We we. Well, in COVID, it's been a little different, but normally we, we react or, and, and interact with them on a regular basis, so they're up to date with all of the all of the things that are going on. Um, uh, you know, really, there's there's all kinds of publications out right now that talk about the value of preconditioning and the value of of, uh, of carcass traits, and and you know, one of the greatest trends that's going on, not greatest, but one of the biggest trends that's going on right now, is that there are very few select cattle showing up on these grids, you know, and I don't know if that's because they're, they're not selling those cattle on a grid or, or if we've just done that good a job of increasing the genetics, the value of the genetics that are in the calves that are being sold on the grid. And, you know, the prime, prime numbers are up in the double digits right now. And the, and the choice numbers are, are up, you know, close to averaging close to 90%, you know, in some months of the year. And, and so if you're not, if you're not hitting those targets, you're going to suffer in my opinion. Sure. Hmm. Pretty interesting stuff, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here today. Um, I always enjoy the topics that um, that I don't know much about because I learn just as much as probably everybody listening. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to come in. Yeah, I would say it was definitely very insightful, even for somebody that's has a growing up on a cattle background. I mean, there's a lot of things to be learned, and you know, unless you're really in tune with it. Sometimes it's hard to keep up, and it's always good to have a perspective from somebody that's in tune with that piece of it. 
Well, and I'm, this is, this is an, also an example of, of, of how the world has reacted to COVID. I mean, we're not doing producer meetings and we're not doing a lot of in-person things. And so we need yeah. more, more avenues to, yeah. to, to do those kind of things. And so, and I would encourage anybody that has questions uh, uh, to give me a call here at the office, uh, um, you know, or, or have one of the, the retail locations or, or sales reps uh, find out or get a hold of me and we'll, we'll have a discussion about it. Sure. Well, yeah. Appreciate it again. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate you responding to that change by, by jumping on the podcast with us. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.